You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. When you're in leadership, you've got to honor the place you're leading in. You can't undermine it, especially to the sheep. And the sheep, if somebody in leadership here, you start, if they start dumping on you critical about the church, you ought to exit. Quit getting around it. Because they should take it up, vertical, not horizontal. That's just the way you do it. We all construct our lives on a foundation, be it people, possessions, or God. In today's message, Pastor Jeff underscores the importance of having a resilient foundation when life's challenges arise. Regardless of how secure you feel, trials will inevitably come, and a feeble foundation will always let you down. Choose to build your life on something that can withstand all of the storms that come your way. Place your trust in God and allow Him to get you through your toughest battles. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 as he continues his message, True Shepherd. I want you to feed me with the Word of God. Tell me what God said. So Peter deals, here it is, with the first with the maturity of a leader, then with the ministry of the leader, and now next he's going to deal with the spiritual motivation of church leadership. He says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. Uh Uh-oh. Not going after their money, but eagerly. Now, Peter lists two wrongs and two right, two wrong motives and two right ones for serving as an elder or a pastor. Here they are. Here's the wrong ones. None should be money motivated. No spiritual leader should be money motivated. In other words, I'm not here to bless the people. I'm here to get all the money I can out of this deal. Are you with me? I don't care about them. I'm a hire. That's what hireling comes from. I've been hired. There's money in this for me, so I'm a hireling. And what did, what did Jesus say hirelings do? When the wolves come, the hirelings run because they have no investment in the people. They don't care about the sheep. But a true God-given shepherd does. And he's not after their, he's not after theirs, he's after them. He doesn't want their, I mean, hey, if you want to give to the church, wonderful. We can use it. And please do support the work. But that's not what I'm after when I'm up here teaching the word of God. I I want you to grow in the faith into the fullness of the stature of Christ. I want you to be successful. I want you to be victorious. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to find your gift and use it. I want you to grow into maturity. I want you to be ready when Jesus comes. So... Peter deals with the motivation. The bottom line motive of some people in ministry, a lot of them, is money. And there are some that just get filthy rich off of ministry. My personal belief about that is some of them will be included in Jesus' words and in the scenario Jesus painted when he said, when I return, there's going to be some saying, Lord, Lord. Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do many mighty miracles? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So in other words, they were using the name of Jesus for profit. Not with the right motives. And Jesus never knew them. 
The second wrong motive for pastoring is of being under constraint. In other words, you've been forced to do it. He says, don't, don't do it for dishonest gain and don't do it by compulsion or under constraint against your will. You don't want anybody leading you that doesn't want to be there. You don't want anybody leading you that has not been appointed by God to do it. This wrong motivation breeds resentment in the leader. Am I really preaching again today? Is it really Sunday again? Oh my goodness. Oh, here we go again. Story is told of a senior pastor. And he woke up one Sunday, this reminded me of this, and he, he said, I don't want to go today. And so he said, I'm just going to call in sick, and I'm going to have my associate preach. So he called in, lied, said he was sick, couldn't come. Gabriel in heaven is watching the whole thing. And he turns to Jesus and says, can you believe that? Your man just lied to not preach. What are you going to do about that? Well, the Lord didn't answer him. Well, the preacher puts on his golf clothes, goes out and gets his golf clubs, hops in the car and goes to the golf course. Tees up. And he's feeling great. He says, my associate will do a great job. God bless him. Here we go. And he drove the first ball. It sailed left. It hit a tree. It bounced off. It ran along the edge of a pond. Hopped up onto a turtle. The turtle walked out onto the course and dumped the ball. And it rolled right into the hole. For a hole in one. Gabriel turned to Jesus again and said, what are you doing? You blessed him. You blessed him. Look, you gave him a hole in one. And Jesus said, ah, but who can he tell? <laughs> Y'all are with me. All right. Everybody say, no one. Boy, you know, when I told y'all I was sick, I got a hole. No, he can't do it. That's free. I'm not a comic, but that's a good one. All right. Peter says the true pastor will do it willingly. He'll do it willingly. All right. Peter says, do his work eagerly with passion and zeal. Now that'll come and go sometimes. It's not like you're always red hot. I need to rekindle the flame uh, fairly often. But I've never lost the fire. I've never lost the deep inner motivation to minister the word of God. He put that in me. And I will do it, Lord willing, until the day that I go home. Amen. Now, then he mentions the spiritual manner of shepherding, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, pastors were never intended to be permission givers. I don't want to be your permission giver. I got enough dealing with my own life. But there are some who want to be permission givers. Uh, we, we, we were never called to tell you when you can go on vacation, who you can marry. Sometimes I'll warn you about who not to marry. You better watch out. But I don't want to control you. I don't want to control you. And there's control freaks that are in, the, that are in leadership in churches. I mean, they'll even come to your house uh, at the end of a month and say, why haven't you tithed yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been done many times. Can you imagine that? Ding dong. You go to the door. Uh, I'm here to collect. We haven't gotten your tithe yet this month. No, we weren't called to be manipulative or power hungry or power brokers. That's what cults do. Show me a cult. They want control of you. And that's the first thing they start doing. They get control of you. 
They isolate you from your loved ones. They isolate you or they got you alone. Then they start controlling you right down to where you go, what you do, how you spend your time, who you spend it with. They control you. No, he said, not as being lords. There's only one Lord and I'm not it and nor do I want to be it. True pastors are called to lead and feed, sometimes to correct and sometimes to counsel by the wisdom of scripture, but we're called to lead by example, not coercion. I can't control you. It's useless to even try, nor do I want to. From the flock's point of view, uh, they, the leadership, are to be respected and their authority submitted to so long as their counsel and direction come from the Bible. They are placed where they are to watch over your souls as those that will answer to God. Now, I'm going to just be a little transparent. I have found that this principle of accountability to leadership, submission to church leadership, is almost wholly lost on, on the body of Christ today because it's been lost almost wholly on the culture, and the culture comes into the church. Now I'm going to go a little further and tell you, particularly in charismatic churches. You know why? Because we can always default and blame God. I was led. Uh, we can blame God for our own instability and inability to be stable and faithful. So we blame God. Well, I just left, I just did this or that because he, he led me. Well, who can argue with if God told you to do something? I can't argue with God. But you got to be careful because the Bible says when you come into a church fellowship, anytime I've been in a church fellowship when I wasn't a pastor, um, I wanted to know what my leadership thought about major decisions in my life. I didn't want their permission, but there were times I sure wanted them to pray with me about something. And if I was going to leave a church, I went and told them. Now, I was only in two churches until I started pastoring myself because I was in them for years. I was very faithful, true blue. I mean, just once I had a home, I was home. I was not like a bee that visits all these different flowers, depending on how you feel on any given Sunday. I had one main flower. Now I would go and visit if they had something special in other churches, some special event that I was interested in, but I stayed primarily faithful and rooted in one place. That's called stability. What's, the, what's stability? The ability to stay. Amen. Oh, me. I've seen people come into it, and I, it's not just me. I was listening to Pastor Cimbala recently, and he, he brought a message uh, where he just talked just about this, about how easily people come and go. He said, we used to call it the church of the open door, where the door was wide open and people were coming in and getting stable. Now it's the church of the revolving door. And his message was called the church of the revolving door. He said, they'll come in, they'll sit there for six months. Hallelujah, kumbaya, praise the Lord. And then you look out there one day and go, where'd they go? They went to another flower, another restaurant, quietly in the night. The leadership just kind of has to wake up and realize one day that they've been gone a while. 
No word. And yet, you've married their living, buried their dead, walked them through hell and back in many different, uh, 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 different scenarios and problems. But then when they go, they just boop. It's, it's weird. I never, just me, I can only talk for me. I didn't do that. I left two churches. One of them was to take, well, they were both to take a new ministry position. Both of them. One of them, Beverly Hills Baptist Church, which was not Baptist. It was extremely spirit-filled. We got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, as a matter of fact, because we started praying for the sick, and they didn't like that. So we got kicked out. But the church exploded. And Brother Howard Knatzer, Sonny's daddy, was my all-time favorite pastor. I loved him. I studied that guy like a hawk. And he's the one that first gave me my chance at a pulpit. I never stood behind a pulpit until he asked me to. And I was a nervous wreck. Because here behind, he looked like Moses. White hair, piercing blue eyes, square jaw, six foot two, deep booming voice. And I used to go up to him and ask him a question and totally forget what I was going to ask. Because <laughs> to me, he was Moses, right? So here, here I am preaching this one Sunday night, and Moses is right over here. And other big names are up here on stage because Beverly Hills became famous. And I got my first shot at preaching in a church behind a pulpit. But I only left Beverly Hills when I got an offer to be an associate pastor slash youth pastor in a church in Palestine, Texas. And I took the offer to my leadership. I said, pray with me about this. I'm not going anywhere unless God gives me a peace and you a peace with me. I wonder how often that occurs to some people. And they all came back and said, we have a peace, Jeff. Go. Now, I had a college and career class of 500. I was over the college and career ministry. This church exploded. 4,000 people on a Sunday morning, easy. And, I, and so I had 500 on my roll. Said goodbye, only by the leadership of God. Only other time I did it was to start my own church. And that was from the church I ended up in after I went to Palestine. So I never, I never left my churches without a divine amen and being sent I so believe in being sent. So this current church culture has befuddled me. It has perplexed me. But it's the culture coming in. I don't owe you anything. I don't respect authority. I'm not accountable to anybody. I do what I want. I'm being led. And off they go. I don't know about you, but I believe in being sent. You know why? Because in the book of Acts, Paul and the other missionaries were always sent. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost to send you. And they went. That's free. That's not in my notes. I'm just telling you tonight. Amen? And by the way, we were sent here. We were sent here. We didn't just come here fly by night. We were sent. And I would not go at never to start a work for God if I wasn't sent. No way. Okay, one more verse, and then I'm going to let us go a little bit. Is it okay if you go a little bit early tonight? Or are you okay? Like at 8 o'clock straight up because of, are you okay with that? 
Give me a nod. Yay, nay. Uh-oh, I got some nays out there. Okay. Um, now, next Peter is going to talk to the sheep. So now it goes from me to you. Here we go. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, here's a principle we all recognize. Most have heard the phrase, respect your elders. This springs out of the forgotten practice of honoring authority. I can remember when I was starting out in ministry, being surrounded by seasoned men of God. Uh, God surrounded me with some good ones. And I consider that I'm standing on their shoulders. And they've been around the mountain a few times. They were fruitful. And God put them over me. And I studied them. I learned from them. I watched them. And let me tell you, I was there when they made some decisions I didn't like or I didn't agree with, or that I really wondered about. But out of sheer respect for their spiritual authority position, I kept my mouth shut. I just didn't say anything. Okay? I didn't say anything. I didn't go out and, bah, 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 why are they this? Why are they that? I'll tell you a true story, and then I'm going to stop. But I want you to catch this, because I, I want to deal with things that have been lost. I'm not necessarily saying about you, I'm just talking about the church at large in the West. It's been lost. Um, the respect for authority, recognizing that authority, or I could call delegated authority, God delegates authority. He, he has to. Any army delegates authority. There's no army, no navy, no marines, no nothing without delegated authority. There's people at the top and they delegate pieces of their authority to people underneath them. If you're wise in the military, you learn to respect that authority whether or not you like the person. Okay? You don't say to a sergeant, you know, I just don't happen to like you. So I'm not going to do what you say. No, you just, yes, sir. Right? Delegated authority is the way God runs the world. All right? In, in everywhere. We're in a culture right now, dear church, that is attacking authority, undermining authority, disrespecting authority, uh, attacking authority to their own hurt. Because understanding delegated authority means what, whatever I think about this person, they have a position that God has given them. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'll respect the position. We parents, we have delegated authority. I mean, and, and anybody in here that's a parent, perfect. And yet you expect your children to respect you and do what you say. Am I right? Okay, why? Because you have authority. God delegates authority and we're to respect it. That means, and here's what happened to me. I was going to a church, the second church that I left. Um, but while I was there, I badly needed this church. I needed the word of God from this church. I needed to be strengthened. I needed to be encouraged. We drove one hour, one way to get to this church. And because I was so hungry. And I was at a time in my life, it was a wilderness time. And I needed to hear a clear, red hot word from God. I needed that church. But we had a couple of friends that were on staff at this church. I'll go even further and say they actually, the man had actually married me and my late wife, Kathy. He was the minister. So he was on staff in this church. 
And we would go and get with them pretty often. And we started going over to their place uh, and uh, Friday nights, for instance. And it got to where every single time we went, he started bleeding about that church, criticizing it, undermining it. Okay? And it got really bad. And then Kathy and I would drive, we'd drive away and go, golly, I don't know about this. This is hard. And eventually, after a few months of this, because it was every time, you know, the pastor this, the pastor that, the elders this and that. They shouldn't be running it like this. They should be doing it like that. And all this on me. I so badly needed to be able to believe in my church. So we decided we're going to have to tell them. These were lifelong friends. But it came down to what's more important to me, my spiritual growth, my ability to receive from God and grow, or my friends. It was hard. Because even before I was married, they took me in and let me live with them because I had nowhere to go uh, at one point. And they were the best marriage I'd ever seen. So we decided, okay, this week, we're just going to have to tell them. I can't talk about the church anymore. So we got with them, and I said, hey, let's, let's say his name was Bob. It wasn't, but here we go. Bob, Bob, lately, every time we're getting together, you're, you're, you're running the church down. And I know you're having struggles with it. I know it's bothering you. But Bob, I can't listen anymore. I need you to talk about things that edify me. I can't listen to my church being run down like this. Because i got to believe in my church. And you need to take your issues up, not vertical, not horizontal. I'm a sheep. You're on staff as a pastor. You ought not be dumping this on me. Right? And he did. And boy, it went all over his face. And long story short, they ended our friendship. They ended it. It hurt him. And they ended it. And they got distant from us. Quit inviting us over. He's in heaven now. There's more I could say, but I won't. But here's the deal. You can't, nothing is worth your spiritual growth. And, and somebody like this man, who I love to this day dearly, when you're in leadership, you've got to honor the place you're leading in. You can't undermine it, especially to the sheep. And the sheep, if somebody in leadership here, you start, if they start dumping on you critical about the church, you ought to exit. Quit getting around it. Because they should take it up, vertical, not horizontal. That's just the way you do it. Now, that's what Peter is saying. I recognize delegated authority. Whatever faults my pastor at that time had, and he had faults. Guess what? So do I. Everybody does. He had faults. And some of what he was telling me was true. But you know what? It wasn't my business. I didn't need to hear it because it wasn't heresy or anything like that. We need to be smart in local church because don't you know the devil would love to take this down. Any church reaching people for Jesus has a great big target on their chest. So we got to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Amidst the distractions in our world, Pastor Jeff illustrated the most important decision you could ever make. Opt for God's love above all else. 
in a society inundated with competing values and fleeting pleasures, make a conscious decision to embrace God's enduring love. Even when the world is reeling you in with empty promises, there is no match for God's grace. Steer clear of the world's temptations and transcend the fleeting pleasures of the world. Hi everybody, this is Jeff Wickwire, host of the Hardwire broadcast, and I'm so excited to tell you about this month's offer for you, our listeners. For a gift of $40 or more, we want to send you the beautiful new Bible put out by Tyndale called Immerse, the Reading Bible. Our offer contains a beautiful, reads-like-butter New Testament featuring the New Living Translation. The Immerse Bible New Testament contains no chapters, no verses, just like the original manuscripts in which the Bible was written so that it reads more like a story. It also comes with an eight-week reading plan, maps, and a helpful summary of every New Testament book. So if you want to try a really unique approach to your daily Bible reading, just go to hardwire.org and click Donate Now to give your gift of $40 or more. We'll send you the Immerse Bible immediately. And thanks once again for your support of Hardwire. Every dollar we receive will go toward reaching the world with God's Word. Are you feeling lost? Are you struggling to discover who you are? Next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff emphasizes the power of surrendering yourself for the sake of God's kingdom. In a world often characterized by self-reliance and personal striving, relinquish control and humbly accept God's unmerited favor. Your act of surrender is a gateway to spiritual renewal. By yielding to God's grace, shed your burdens and be forever set free. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.